This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. in the autumn. Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Gigi Salmon, joined by sports media expert and broadcaster Eleanor Preston. And we're coming to you from my hotel bedroom in in Paris. Welcome, Eleanor. Well, I've got myself into some scrapes in my time. Now, we are almost on the eve, the night before the eve of what will be the third Grand Slam of the year, Roland Garros. It's a lot colder. We will get on to the weather. We are actually the reason I should say we're up in my hotel bedroom is it's actually quite busy down in the bar. Because one thing I've noticed from my first few days here is restaurants and bars aren't as busy and people are really keeping themselves a lot more to themselves in their own little bubbles. You arrived in Paris a few hours ago. What have your first impressions been? Because for me, it was the fact that unlike the UK at the moment, I know things change all the time, masks everywhere. Yeah, masks everywhere outside. I mean, you know, they weren't all entirely over the nose, you know, and and there was a little bit of of using them as a chin accessory. Um, But yes, masks everywhere, very, very um, prevalent. And yes, generally people social distance you know for for me it's been quite an odd experience because you know for for 20 years of of working in tennis I was traveling relentlessly and this year you know we came back from Australia in February and then we pretty much went straight into lockdown so I haven't even been on a train since March so going to Paris you know going to co-op is quite a large adventure (laughs) for me so going to Paris was really strange I mean I don't think I've ever been so excited about going to an event because normally you know we do events back to back and and they're wonderful and I love my job and it's great but you know you've normally snatched a week at home and then you're on to the next event and and whereas this time I've had months and months at home so now I'm like let me out (laughs) and it was lovely to arrive in Paris and for it to be very reassuringly like Paris you know beautiful buildings terrible traffic um, you did arrive at the worst time of day. I did arrive at the worst time of day. You know, graffiti on the underpasses, and 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 it was, it was lovely, really. I think it was very, um, and even to go past Roland Garros, you know, gave me a sort of slightly warm, fuzzy feeling. And I think, I think that's been, you know, there've been plenty of of really bad things about lockdown. Not 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 for me particularly, but obviously for lots of people. Um, but I think it's given me a kind of appreciation of of the life that we have normally, and and a reminder not to take it for granted. Now, what we've had to do ahead of working, and we're both working for the FFT here, is, and everyone working on the tournament had to have a COVID test in their place of origin. So we test in the UK. Once we came out here, we'd then have to email it to the FFT. That would be added to our accreditation. So we, you emailed yours through. So tomorrow, when you get to site for the first time, when it buzzes through, it'll go green to show you have. Well, hopefully. And it's, uh, hopefully it was negative, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, in, you in needed my bed. negative. <laughs> lying on my bed in my hotel room. You have to tell me these things. <laughs> He's probably asked a little late. <laughs> but it will go green. I know it will go green. And anyone who 
hasn't taken one or it's been positive, it will flash red and say no PCR test. So that is how they are allowing you into the stadium at the first time. And then we both, depending how long we're here for, we will then get a link to go and get another COVID test. So basically it's a weekly basis. It rolls on a weekly basis. So it's valid for the rest of the time. And that's the same for the players and anybody that's that's working at Roland Garros. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. A couple of people who don't work in sport have asked me you know do you feel comfortable going to Paris do you feel comfortable going to work at a sports event and I said I think it's a one of the safest places you can be um you know it's because it's again it's a it's a hyper controlled environment you know everyone around us has been tested multiple times or will be tested multiple times during the course of the tournament and this is even more true for the players I think you are you know you're there are precautions in place everywhere you look. And I, and I know from, from working on the operational side of tournaments just how extensive the planning and the protocols were to get tennis going again. And, you know, literally every tiny detail has been looked at and examined and talked about and, and dissected and, and changed. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, the, the number of tests, even if they're not particularly pleasant I think you know that's part of the the privilege of being able to be here and 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 actually it's reassurance as much as anything and there are masks on site so whether you're a journalist at your desk or whether you're sitting in your office at your desk you wear your mask you take your mask off to eat and drink there are very few occasions when you cannot have your mask on there's hand sanitizers every few steps you take um, anything you need to feel protected socially distanced everything everything is in in place i mean everything feels very very secure when you go into Roland Garros the way things are spaced out. There feels even more space than there would normally be. And I think that's not just because we don't have the spectators as we never would in these few days leading up to it, but they're, they're building things, things are changing. It's It feels very spacious. It doesn't feel claustrophobic and it does feel that they are doing everything they can. And you won't see, you won't see a player <laughs> unless you're, unless you're on court and you're watching a match, you will not go anywhere near a player. They are very much in their own very, very restricted hotel tournament practice court bubble. Yeah, and again, that, that's probably very reassuring for them. And, you know, it's it's very likely, as we had, I know, a couple of positive tests in, in qualifying and those players were, were taken out of the draw. And, it, and it's likely that, you know, as at the US Open, you will get, you know, it, the law of averages was, would suggest one might get a positive test, but to me that's probably a good thing in the sense that it means the testing protocols work and and the yeah. system is in place to handle it if that happens um, and to protect the other players. And I, I think that's, you know, and I, across sport, and I know, you know, from football, from squash, and, and obviously, as we know in tennis, um, you know, that people have had to find different ways of doing things. They've had to adapt and innovate and... and and almost start with a blank piece of paper in terms of, of how you get stuff done and how you do it in a safe way and how you deliver what needs to be delivered um, and make sure that the players are looked after, but also comfortable, that it's not a, a you know a bad experience for them. And also for the, you know, to a lesser degree to the people working there as well. You know, they need to be, everybody needs to be able to do their jobs in an effective, but also pleasant way. And and it's challenging, but it's it's an interesting time for the industry, and it's an interesting time for those running, running major sports events. 
And obvious comparisons will be made to the US Open because it follows so soon afterwards. But it has to be kept in mind that Flushing Meadows is an enormous site. And secondly, they were never going to have fans on the site so they could make it a playground for the players. And we know people who work there who said, I didn't see hide nor hair of a player because, again, there was the, the tier one and, and the tier two. At Roland Garros from the very beginning, and I know as we speak on the Friday, it's now a 1,000 spectators a day. It was around 12,000, came to 5,000. Now, due to the situation in, in France and in Paris, it's a 1,000. But they were always planning on having spectators. Therefore, it would limit what they could do with the areas because there are going to be members of the public walking around. And I know they'll be very restricted, but for obvious reasons, they cannot go anywhere near the players. Yeah, I, I read today it's, it's 135th of the usual uh, amount of spectators that they're expecting at Roland Garros through the week. So a, a thousand per day across 16 courts and, and 12 hectares. So, um, you know, there will be effective social distancing there. And I'm glad they're having some spectators because I, I do yeah. think it adds something. And we'll, we'll see. I, th- I, I mean, I, I, it's an interesting... Dilemma, isn't it? Because I think I think talking to people who dip in and out of tennis, they seemed more put off by the lack of spectators at the US Open than perhaps people who are really into tennis. For me, I really enjoyed the US Open because actually I wasn't distracted by anything. I was very yeah. mu- actually much more focused on what was happening in the match and the way they were hitting the ball. And but that's Possibly because I'm a tennis nerd. If I was a casual <laughs> fan, I might be more interested in who the crowd was rooting for or, you know, what what celebrities were there or all that sort of atmosphere and colour. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see how, how it is here at Roland Garros. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how those thousand are spread out because you can imagine if Nadal's playing on Chatre, there's not going to be many of that thousand that want to go to court seven for instance and there might be a wonderful match taking place on court seven but if you've got uh, Djokovic on Susan Longman and you've got Nadal on Chatrier so it's going to be very interesting but it's great at this stage and things continually change that they are allowed the fans which did restrict that they couldn't really turn Roland Garros into a playground for the players because they're having to take in those other considerations something that's also been a talking point is the roof on Philippe Chatrier now I was really looking forward to seeing it. I wasn't sure because of the week we had, Rome week, weather-wise, across Europe. I mean, it was it was baking, it was heat wave time. So I thought, oh, they're not going to use the roof. Uh-huh. They've used the roof a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been here since Wednesday. I've seen a lot of the roof. It's amazing, but I have seen a lot of the roof. Well, it's good that they get to practice with it. I think it's, they're going to see a lot more of the roof. Yes. From the... From you, the weather. Do you remember when they put the roof on centre court? If I remember, the weather was stunning. Didn't use it. Didn't use it. <laughs> Not quite the case here. They're going to use it a lot. But it, it's incredible. I mean, you'll... I know when you arrive today, you're, you're going to come tomorrow and you'll probably see because it'll probably be raining. But it is... It's incredible when you look at Philippe Chet, what they've done with the wooden seats, how they've transformed it and now adding the roof. I mean, it's, it's a spectacular arena. I, I mean, we actually drove past it on my rather long taxi journey because I stupidly chose to arrive at rush hour in Paris um, <laughs> despite having been here many many times I did make a, a fairly rookie error there but we one of the plus sides of slow moving traffic on the periphery because we did get to have a really good look at, at the new court and it looks absolutely fantastic it's beautiful and I think the roof's you know is going to add an enormous amount because it adds an a different level of interest and a discussion point. You know, will they close the roof? Won't they close the roof? What's the forecast? What's going to happen? How does that affect the ball moving? You know, and, and Clay 
I think clay court tennis is quite is quite um, perhaps more affected than the other surfaces, or the tennis rather is more affected yeah. than the other surfaces by atmospheric conditions, by the temperature, the air temperature, or, or how damp it is, or and, and so on. So the roof kind of takes that on a level, and I think it's going to be an, a really interesting talking point from the first time they use it. And already the conversations have started. We've been having media day today. So a number of players, Dominic Thiem, Rafa Nadal, Victoria Zarenka, Simona Halep, Garbini Muguruza, have been speaking ahead of the tournament. And weather has come up in all of them because it's chilly. I'd like to say cold, but some people say it's not. Is it cold or chilly? Well, I am quite wussy. Um, it's it's quite chilly, I would say. It's, it's... I mean, I don't think it's cold, but it's. I have to say it, it's quite a tricky packing trip, this one. Because you could be very warm, you could be really cold, and it could all happen in the same day. Quite possibly. Um, and in that sense, it's not that different from what it's like in May, in that I've been to Roland Garros and it's been absolutely sweltering. And then other times you come and, and you're constantly freezing. So it's, it's I don't it's think you're going to have to worry about sweltering. I think we can knock, there might be warm, but I think we can get rid of sweltering. I think it, from looking at the That's forecast, half the suitcase out the window. <laughs> the, the roof is going to be used. But it's interesting, Simona Halep saying today, look at everyone saying I'm, you know, favourite for this, but but it's cold. It's really, mm. really cold. And, and Rafa Nadal coming out saying, you know, playing a tournament, he said it's almost too cold to play an outdoor tournament in temperatures like this. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that because honestly, I've, I can remember, you know, lots of, of, years of Roland Garros where it was 12 degrees and constantly drizzling. Yeah. So I think that sometimes players, you know, it's a bit like when they're asked if it's if the court's playing faster or slower. You know, whatever they don't like is what they think it's playing. If they like the courts very fast, they find it a bit slow um, and, and vice versa. So sometimes I think it's a matter of perception, I suppose, is is the, is what I'm trying to say. And And I think that's... Um, you know, that's that's the nature of sort of players pre-event. And some of that is the nature of media day because they're asked to sort of speculate on things and, and always, you know, they're constantly being asked because nothing's happened yet. They're being asked for everything is really an opinion. But I think it's interesting and I think partly it's the way we're going to go through the draw, how the draw has fallen and there will only be one of, if they get to that stage, Team or Nadal in the final because they're in the same half. But Team talking about, and again, probably looking at the draw, but the conditions probably favouring Novak Djokovic and he's probably the favourite, which sounds weird. And then Rafa Nadal sort of, well, yeah, no, I'm not sure. This is probably going to be the hardest Grand Slam conditions ever for me. And yes, he could be playing down things because of he didn't have he had a couple of matches in Rome and then he lost to Diego Schwartzman he said it was good he didn't get no you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but there's more talk about Djokovic being the favorite for this tournament and I think the weather has really been put into the mix and look if this was a heat wave over two weeks who's going to bet against Nadal yeah I, I think it's I think it's interesting that nobody wants to be the favorite and, and that I'm perhaps not that unusual but everybody you know, said, well, not me. Oh, no, I'm not. Don't be ridiculous. I'm not the favourite. <laughs> um, when patently Simona Halep is the favourite, and I think probably the Djokovic and Nadal are, are perhaps joint favourites, I would say, um, for the men's title. Um, that's not to say 
those not necessarily my predictions, but I'd say those were the. Like you've got to predictions pretty quickly, haven't you? No, no, no. At never, the end of the podcast, very carefully. <laughs> Thank you for your don't predictions. Make predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you will have to do that towards the end. But I think look, when people saw this draw come out, and you look at the the third and the fourth quarter. So in the third quarter, so I'm going the bottom half of the draw first. Are we on men or women? Men. This being the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, we'll go men. <laughs> well, that's reasonable. <laughs> so we're going to go bottom half of the draw. So team opens against Chile. Actually looked at Dominic Team's possible route to the final, to this title. And he was asked about how he feels he will deal with the emotions of being a Grand Slam winner, having the letdown from achieving one of your dreams and then ramping it up again to get back in Grand Slam mode. And he was very honest in saying that I won't know till I get out there because I have achieved one of my life's goals. But team's possible, possible route to the semi-final, it's not even to the final, Cilic, Apelka, Kasper Ruud, Vavrinka, Diego Schwartzman and Rafa Nadal. And that's the third quarter. And then Nadal down in the bottom quarter, you've got Sasha Zverev in that bottom quarter, obviously finalist at Flushing Meadows and really sort of cracking the Grand Slams now. David Goffin against Yannick Sinner is a first round match. Fabio Fanini, I know he's still coming back from that double ankle surgery. Benoit Paire, I mean, poor old Benoit Paire, I think he just wants the season to finish now. You've got John Isner down there, Nishikuri, Dan Evans, Dimonor. I mean, it's uh, it's packed. And in teams, but the players I didn't mention were the likes of Felix Ogialiasim and Borna Choric is in there and, and Gail Morfis is in there. I mean, it's absolutely stacked down the bottom, but the key headline was that only one of Team or Nadal can get to the final. Yeah, and I think I think that's, it's interesting. There's a lot of interesting first round matches. There's a lot of, um, as you said, there's some very heat packed sections of the draw where perhaps the seeded player isn't going to come through. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not, Dan Evans is immensely talented, but is he, and seeded 32 here, but is he the most likely player to come through his section of the draw, for example, is up against Nishikori in the first round. You know, that's not an easy start. It's not an easy start. Um, and also, I think this, this, the current circumstances give us a whole lot of other unpredictable elements because you've got players who did play the US Open. You've got players like Nadal who didn't play the US Open and are therefore, you know, coming in arguably a little bit undercooked. Well, normally you have a lot of data, especially any tournament that's happening back end of September, October. You would have all this data. You'd have all these results. You could really base something on something. And a lot of these cases, Nadal, we're basing it on a couple of matches in Rome. And we're just assuming, well, it's Rafa Nadal's Roland Garros. And I do think the best of five set format will make a difference and does make a difference. And I know Rafa Nadal, he's been talking, he's not happy with the tennis balls. He's not happy with the conditions. But still... He is Rafa Nadal. He will be on Philippe Chatrier, where he's won 12 titles. And it's a best of five sets, which is not just a physical battle, but it's also a mental battle. Yeah, and I think that the other mental battle is that Nadal hasn't been in the circumstances that he's in. It's not going to feel like all his other Roland Garroses. You know, the, the environment is slightly different. It, you know, players, as you know, are very attached to their rituals, you know, and their ways of doing things. And it's it's they like kind of repetition and and suddenly you've got that element of everything feels a bit odd and how will that 
play out for certain players and, and, and how they approach things mentally. So, you, so you've got all sorts of factors here. I mean, there's a little bit of a parallel, I suppose, with the grass court season in some ways, in that you've got a very limited number of opportunities to get matches going into yeah. a very, you know, the, a very big tournament. Um, and, and, and how does that, you know, for some people, some players can turn up at a tournament and immediately they hit the ground running. Other players like to play a lot. And, and I mean, I think Dominic Team's probably one of those that likes to play a lot and, you know, get a real run up at, at events. So, I mean, I think we'll know a lot in the first couple of rounds as to, as to you know, who's undercooked, who's perhaps, you know, had m- more matches than they need or who's, um, you know, who, who's coming in slightly rusty. If you had to, to put them in order of, of Team Dahl, who's ahead of who in terms of who could you see making it through of those two? Because they, they are the heavy folks, despite all the talent in the bottom half of the draw, they are the, the two standouts having been the last couple of finals here. That's a really tricky one. I think it's, as you said, Team's got a, a very difficult draw, arguably a, a more difficult draw. But at the same time, that means if he's come through all those players, he's going to be near the top of his game. He might also be a bit fatigued. I, I would. I mean, I think it's very difficult to look beyond Nadal at Roland Garros. That's just history. And well, it's but, the aura. It's part of the aura as well. It's yeah. Nadal and it's Roland Garros. Yeah. I mean, I think teams, you know, coming in as a Grand Slam champion might lessen the sense of of um, you know the aura of invincibility that Rafa has here because team will have you know coming in with not quite an equal footing you know, quite a lot in the locker. Um, so that that's an interesting element to it. But yeah, I think, I think, and, and it's, it's very possible that whoever comes through that wins the title. And for some who listen to this, this will be long past by now. But Stan Wawrinka against Andy Murray, it was another headline when the draw was made. We knew when the, because it's an electronic draw, Roland Garros, the names, I quite like it. They, there's a little montage I love a montage. There's a lovely montage of, in this case, the, the, the male players in the draw and the seeds get their own little picture and little moment. But then as Andy Murray was placed, it was, right, he's getting, yeah, okay, he's going to get a seed, right? This is how that's going to fall. And he got Stan Wawrinka. And you think back to, I know most recently the Antwerp final when Murray got back to getting on the podium and winning titles, he beat Wawrinka. But for Paris, you think 2017, you think that semi-final, it was, I mean, it was incredible. It, I, I know they are, different beasts than they were even in 2017 but for this to be a first round match that's extraordinary i mean didn't didn't they play first round at eastbourne when they were both coming back off a off an injury break yeah. so it's interesting they somehow get drawn together in these <laughs> strange circumstances i mean and i think it's a you know it, it, it it's a shame i think it's a shame for the tournament to lose a grand slam champion i think that's you know it yeah. but i think it's going to be fun to watch Another fun match, if we just end that bottom half, is Gail Monfils against Alexander Bublik. Bublik, who's been doing well in Hamburg, had a good run in Hamburg. Monfils is, hasn't played a lot. The decision's made very early with his girlfriend, Lena Svitolina, that they wouldn't do the hard courts, and he's also been slightly injured. They would come back on the clay. But in terms of excitement, interest the kind of players that both Monfils and Bublik are it's definitely I don't always like using this phrase but the popcorn match if we're doing a list of popcorn matches that has to be on there just because of the type of players and the fact we're in Paris that Monfils and and Bublik are 
Absolutely. And it could be a 6116, 6116, 6116. <laughs> it it could be one of those, couldn't it? <laughs> that we would never be able to explain or understand. No. And I, I mean, I think it's, I, I think it is a, a popcorn match. And there, I mean, there are a few, you know, it's it's Gasquet against Bautista Agut, it's another one, which is, right, which is going to be very easy on the eye for, for sort of purists, I think. So there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of intrigue there. Um, Gasquet sort of towards the end of his career now, but I think he might fancy upsetting Batista Agut in the first round of, and a, maybe of Roland Garros. Might prefer the fact there aren't massive crowds. Yeah, yes, he might be easier on the. Not on the, really a spotlight person. Well, especially and I, not here. No, I think the relationship with the French players and the French crowd has always been an interesting one, and it's a it's intense love and and some which sometimes turns not quite to hate, <laughs> but but certainly to to sort of hypercriticism. And I think it's very it's very tough for the French players because they get this tremendous passionate support, but that, that if they don't perform, that passionate support can can sometimes be negative and, and they can get on their own players here. The crowd's very knowledgeable, but not particularly patient with, with players that don't perform to expectation. So Yes, I think that that's going to be interesting for lots of the French players, actually. Well, mentioning Gasquet, if we look at the, the top half of the draw where we find Novak Djokovic. So in that first quarter, and this is just rattling off some names, Novak Djokovic, Matteo Berrettini, you mentioned Roberto Bautista against Richard Gasquet, Karen Hashanov, who's not in good form at the moment, I think it's fair to say, Pablo Crenobusta in the semi-finals of the US Open, you've got Hubert Hercatch in there as well, Jan Lennestruff against... Francis Tiafo, and then in the second chunk, Daniel Medvedev against Martin Fuchovic, Stefano Sitspas against Jaume Muna. You've got Shapovalov against Simon Rublev, who's playing some great tennis. Lajevic, a, a runner-up at a Masters on clay in the past. Dimitrov's in there, Bastashvili, and someone who's had a great time since tennis resumed in Filip Krajinovic. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, there's, a, I think it's some of it is because we miss tennis so much that. You know, the, the, this draw looks particularly juicy, and I don't know if it's just that we were kind of, um, you know, went into tennis withdrawal for so long prior to the US yeah. Open and prior to the resumption of the, of the tour. You know, that, that suddenly you look at that, and I mean, Struff versus Tiafo. You could you could stick a pin in either half of this draw and probably hit a really good first round match. Novak Djokovic. A lot of I've actually tipped him to win the title. Well, that's really you know going out on a limb, isn't it? Well, it is at Roland Garros. I with Nadal in the draw. I actually think it is. Okay. How is that not? Nadal's won it twelve times. Okay. He's the king of clay. So I think. Just saying. <laughs> world number one hasn't actually <laughs> lost a tennis match in the conventional sense all year. But but okay. Well, outsider. I, dark I, horse. I thought I, I'm not going as far as dark horse, but I am thinking that it's well, it's not even a brave decision. But no, it's, it's not it's, remotely a brave it's, decision. But it's a different decision. Then I would have made any other year. Any other year, I think I would have gone Nadal. But I just think, I think Djokovic, I think everything that's happened, Djokovic, I think when his back is against the wall, which it has been with everything that happened in New York, as he said, he's still the only person to beat him this year is him. He wants to, then there was Rome and everything that went well in Rome. I just think he's now so on a mission. He missed getting the US Open. He probably looked at that US Open final and thought, I could have had these fellas. This could have been title number 18. The French could have been number 19. Then the, that would have been Nadal. The next one would have equaled with Federer. And he's made it really clear. 
that the two goals now are equaling bettering Federer's 20 and also this consecutive weeks at number one. So he's going to get, I think he's guaranteed number one till about the 9th of November. And then he's not far off catching Roger Federer, which he thinks he could do. And he's talking about this openly in the first quarter of next year. I mean, Novak Djokovic is at his most dangerous when he has these kind of goals. It was when he achieved the career Grand Slam at Roland Garros and he felt like he lost his way a little bit because he wasn't, what do I do now? And it's something I've wanted for so long. And I, just, I think, and I do think the conditions will help him. I think the fact that it's colder and it's a little bit heavier and the balls are heavier. But I just think, I think he's more determined than ever. And that's what makes him more dangerous than ever. That's a, a, a very wise summing up of the situation. Um, and I think that I think he's motivated not just by goals for the sake of history, but I think he's motivated by being better than his rivals. You know, and I, I, yeah. I would almost say those are separate things. It's not just getting in the record books for the sake of getting the record books. Oh, do you it's think beating they're... other people? Right. I think there's an interesting hyper competitiveness to him that I think pipping other people to records. He wants to be, he's obviously in the conversation, but he wants to be the greatest of all time. I think he does. I think he does. And I, and I mean, I think he's very close to, you know, getting there. And, and so, you know, and also there's no question that the US Open was a missed opportunity. And and we all know what, what happened there and, and, and we don't need to go over it. But, you know, he he had a tough, a fairly tough summer leading up to that. You know, there was all the what happened around the Adria tour and, and, you know, he was getting quite a lot of negative media coverage and then the US Open happened. Um, so he's had a lot going on and he's had a lot that's, you know, and, and that, you know, starting a, a kind of breakaway players union, if you like, you know, he, you're putting your head above the parapet in terms of criticism and people asking you why you're doing it and every press conference that's going to come up. So he's had a lot of stuff on, and I think being able to put that to one side and focus, as you say, on these, on these sort of targets that he has lined up in front of him, like a coconut shy, that he, you know, can see himself knocking off one after the other. I think that's hugely motivating for him. I think the other interesting thing to remind people about is they're all in the hotels together, because in the U.S. Open you could, and Novak Djokovic did have a private residents, as did Milan Sraunic, as did Serena Williams. There's only a handful, but a few did. Whereas here, the French were, it was like, no, there are, I think, two hotels. You will stay in those hotels and that's where you will be. So it it must feel quite weird. You can imagine going down to breakfast or wandering around the lobby. I mean, when was the last time this calibre and quality of player from the from the very, very top downwards have all been in the same hotel? Well, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Because that happens, as you said, it's the it's the it's the caliber. It's also the number of players, um, you know. And, and it's difficult for tournaments because they need to book out really large hotels in order to fit everybody in. Because yeah. because these top 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 players they don't travel on their own. They travel with teams. So um, you know that from a, from a kind of logistical point of view is, is difficult to, to find hotels that are big enough to accommodate that many people. But I suppose, I mean, to, to some degree, if you think about, you know, Master Series events, for example, there's usually one official player's hotel. Now, obviously, the draws are smaller and, and, and so, you know, you, you don't have quite such an intense environment uh, away from the courts. 
But I suppose it's similar to that, isn't it, where you might well see lots of people at breakfast. But probably I would imagine everybody's having room service and, and trying to avoid each other. I mean, we, we all are anyway, let's face it, because of the current circumstances. But I think all the more so with players. But I mean, in saying that, I think I think and I would say this in my experience, the difference between male athletes and female athletes is that male athletes seem to often, not always, but often be better at separating out the work and the chat and the banter. Um, and I think they find it easier to to kind of almost function on a dual level where you can be in an intensely competitive rivalry with someone but still, you know, make jokes or yeah. hang banter out with together. them, hang out. And there isn't, without there being an atmosphere, I think they almost compartmentalise perhaps more than female athletes do. And, and, and that's, you know... Um, without wishing to generalise, that that's just something I would say I've observed from working with athletes of both genders. I'd say two players that probably don't hang out that much together are Daniel Medvedev and Stefano Tsitsipas. <laughs> really? They are constantly asked about their friendship. And I think fair play to them. They keep giving really... They could say, look, guys, we've had enough of this. You've asked us about it. We've told you about it. But, you know, again, Medvedev saying that we just... We're just different. We don't hang out together. We are different people. We're this, we're that. But I think the interesting thing about Medvedev is that he hasn't won a match at Roland Garros. And people assume, and, and he even said, look, if we this we were on hard courts, I'd get that maybe I'd be one of the favourites and I'd understand. He said, but clay is different for me. He said, but maybe these conditions will help me. The ball, in his words, won't be as spinny so I could get some flat hitting on the ball because it's not going to be so spinny. So he said these, because again, he was asked, Jala said these conditions are awful and, it, and it's too cold. I mean, talking, I know he lives in south of France now, but it's mad from Russia. I mm. mean, they, they, they know cold. And he said, I, I don't find it, I don't find it too bad. But he said, for me, it's more about the surface rather than, than, than how cold it is because clay isn't at the moment Daniel Medvedev. No, and I mean, sometimes also total lack of internal expectation can help players as well. You know, yeah. there I mean many, many a situation where a player's come into a Grand Slam not feeling like everything was on it because their expectations weren't particularly high or they, they do what, you know, coaches have probably been telling them to do since they were little, which was to focus on the performance and not the result. And it's easier to do that if you're not expecting a result or expecting a great result. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sitsipas is an interesting one. We haven't we haven't talked about him, but I think he's he's a player who who could have a good run here. I find that I find that with Sitsipas that we're always expecting him to be at the latter stages, and I'm not quite sure what we're basing it on in the sense that in the US, even I put him in my group of four who could win the title. Djokovic, this is the beginning, obviously. Djokovic, Medvedev, Team, and Sitsipas, my four, but. Sitzpers had nothing to had no results to speak of at the US Open. He automatically he was one of the four. And today when Dominic Team was speaking, he said, Oh, I think you'd put probably Djokovic's favourite, then probably myself and Nadal. No, then Nadal, and then probably myself and people like Medvedev Sitsipas. I feel incredibly talented player, but I, I feel, especially at Grand Slams, that we're just we're chucking him in. I mean, for me, there are three people that could win this title, and that's it. There, there's no more than three, yeah. I believe. But Sitsipas, as talented as he is, and I think possibly future number one, a multiple Grand Slam winner, I don't know. I just think we casually chuck him. I mean, probably going to win the damn thing now. But we we just chuck him into he could probably win it. And I'm I'm just not 
sure yeah. at the moment. I'm not sure I would go as far as to say I think he he will win it. I think he I think he could go deep. Um, and I suppose I'm basing that on on his achievement at the Australian Open, where he did deliver a Grand Slam. And I think that's been you know something that that has been an inconsistency with these bright young things and I know you know prior to the US Open it was always something that was leveled at Zverev and perhaps prior to the Australian Open particularly as well where he hadn't got past the I believe he hadn't got past the last eight of a Grand Slam and that and that was something you know something of an albatross around his neck and and you know that's that next generation if you like um you know that that the next cabs off the off the rank um hoping to sort of to follow, you know, this this incredible era that we've had of Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Vavrinka, Murray. Um, you know, they haven't they've 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 kind of had great results actually at Master Series level. Masters events rather, Master Series. I've gone a bit old I've gone a bit, <laughs> I've gone a bit late nineties. Um, <laughs> must be the hour. Um, <laughs> at Masters events, you know, they've delivered there, but they haven't necessarily brought that to a Grand Slam. And I think now what's happening and, and team obviously winning the US Open was a big sign of that especially playing Zverev in the final is that now might be the moment where you do yeah, but, start but would he have that. won it if Djokovic hadn't been defaulted we can come back to that you know if it probably not um but look how how nervous uh, team was and we're going back a tournament now in that final from the moment he did the encore interview Djokovic would have gobbled him up for breakfast if he, he was lucky that yeah. Zverev had those two sets to love lead, but then he himself, and by the end they were both cramping and it was, and I, I understand it, it was an incredible thing. They were both going to achieve their life's dream. This has been the goal since they were born and they were going to play tennis. But, you know, if Djokovic had been there, I think he would have gobbled them both up for breakfast and easily won that title if they had both played like that in that final. So then would we be talking about this sort of new wave coming through? Or do you believe that with circumstances as they are, and that being the final and team winning, that it has now opened the door for the new wave? I'm not sure you can, I think there's a sort of psychological element to this, a mental element to this, in that, in that for both Zverev and team, they weren't playing Djokovic. They were playing somebody they knew they could, they had a good chance of beating. Yeah. They weren't going in as the underdog. So they couldn't just play freely because there was, you know, again, in, and, 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 you know, internal expectation that this is this is your chance and there is no Djokovic and you've got to take this. And you could see, I mean, Zverev played better than team in, in those first two sets, but I don't feel like he played off the charts good. He played quite well and team didn't play well. And then they sort of swapped. Um and then in the end, it was kind of a sort of dogfight, wasn't it? It was a bit, you know, just... Whose body... It was a brawl, really. Whose body's going to survive and who yeah. mentally is going to get them over the line. Yeah. And and, it, and and as a consequence, I'm not sure it was, a, you know, it was a very interesting match. I'm not sure it was a pretty one. Um, but who, if one of them had been playing Djokovic, they could have gone out there with no expectation at yeah. all. Djokovic has got all these records, which, you know, and he's he's not without internal expectation and that sometimes can you know he can show signs of pressure i would i would argue that that it's possible that what happened was a sign that he was slightly feeling the pressure absolutely yeah. so you know he's not djokovic is is an extraordinary player and and that's why he's achieved extraordinary things but he's also very human and he has frailty 
And the bottom line is we could both be right. We'll never know. <laughs> now, we, we must talk about the French players as we are in Paris. And I think the wonderful thing to see is you talked about Richard Gasquet and I mentioned Gilles Simon and Jeremy Chardy is still here and here. But we always talk about the strength in depth in French tennis and we've really got that with the young guys coming through. Hugo Humbert has been doing so well lately. We've been talking about him and how he plays. Corentin Muti, when we're not talking about his rap career, that seems to be going really well with his own YouTube channel and now he's got a duet. Do you call a rap a duet with Denis Shapovalov? I'm not, it's not sure. A, it doesn't sound I'm very not cool, I'm not sure I'm your go-to person for rap questions. But I don't, nor am I, but I just don't think a rap duet sounds very cool when, does it? Do you want a duet with me on a rap? It just sounds wrong. I mean, the answer to that is no, <laughs> just so we're clear. Wasn't I've, got to let you, I've got to let you down gently on that one. Oh, it just, so, but uh, he's he's such a fun player to watch. And it is, there's Content Alice, there's Gregoire Barre. There are so many, Antoine Huang, mm. there are so many good players coming through. And we've just had this with Rome, with all those Italians just coming through. And Matteo Berrettini feels like the old one now. But it's great to see that as the older French players, and obviously Gaël Monfils, to start to eventually wind down, there's this wonderful new crop coming up behind them. And I think what's wonderful about them, and, and, and this is, you know, has been true of so many French players that we've seen, including Gasquet and obviously Monfils, is that, is that they play such beautiful tennis. You know, they really have a tennis which is full of expression and creativity and, and, and it's unpredictable and they can have, you know, one great set and one terrible set. And, and you know, and and that's something that runs through as a thread. And it's not, it's not every single French player, but it is something about the way I think players are taught here in France that there is, a you know, perhaps less of an emphasis on having always absolutely perfect technique and, and metronomic consistency and more about expression and and and, and finding a, a an appealing style of play and and whether it's deliberate that it's appealing I don't know but it certainly is appealing yeah and I think despite the fact there will only be a, a thousand fans it is great when home players do well at their tournaments from and we're working with the FFT so to see the people we're working with get really excited because their players are doing well. We're really at the heart of it. I think that's, for, for me, it's great to see when their players are doing, unless they're playing a British player, then I have to say I'm just a little bit quiet on that front. But it's it's nice to see their excitement. It's nice to see them doing well at home slam. I think it's so important for, for all major sports events, not just the Grand Slams and not just here, when you have home success. I think it yeah. gives a kind of buzz to the event that that. that sort of carries it through it gives it a great momentum and I think we've seen that obviously over the years with with Murray and prior to that Henman at, and and sometimes Johanna Conter at Wimbledon and we've seen that here down the years with Monfils with Milenovic with um you know players having great wins or great yeah. runs um and we see that everywhere and I think I think it's a it's only ever a good thing and it's and it's as you said I mean I remember and this obviously is going to date me somewhat when Roger Federer was was still a very young player going to the tournament in Basel and when Federer played everything stopped I'm sure it still does but he was this bright young thing and he wasn't you know he wasn't he hadn't become Roger Federer at that stage but because he was from Basel everything stopped you know the cleaners stopped the media center was quiet the hospitality suddenly became you know people crowded around the TV or rushing onto the court. And and 
to me that sort of epitomizes that thing of, of everybody kind of really having this shared emotional experience through sport and that's what makes sport wonderful yeah no right question time prediction oh. time where's going to be the biggest upset of round one because I have a feeling I don't want to say this but I have a feeling that uh, Yannick Sinner might upset David Goffa I think Quite. that's I think that's a reasonable shout. Possibly, I would say Murray or Vavrinko would be an upset. No, I mean the, the the problem is when you've got so many very high quality first round encounters. Is it an upset? You know, is is it? Do you does it count as an upset? I think Sinner beating Goffin would. Yeah, or just I think the age factor there, the experience factor. Yeah, Murray, you're right. Murray Vavrinka is just an upset because we lose one of them, so it's upsetting. Yes, I don't know that that's... Yes, we'd be upset. That's, that's upsetting that we lose one of them. In terms of... I don't know, do you think Martin Fucevic could beat Daniel Medvedev? Yes, I do. Yeah, so, I absolutely do. Um, would that necessarily be the biggest upset? No, but you could... Someone like, you know, Grégoire Barrère playing Dimitrov. You know, that's a that's a very tricky opener for Dimitrov. And I know he's, you know, he's... He's played well since the resumption and, and, and seems to be recovered, most importantly, from from having contracted COVID-19 in the, in the summer. But but that's, that's a very difficult opener. Um, you know, again, I think Gasquet could certainly take Batista Agut out. I'm not saying he, he'd do so easily, but if Gasquet has a great day, you know, there, there, are, there are lots of sort of potential banana skins, if you like, on both sides of the draw. Um, do you want to land on one, or do you want just to keep it to a pile of banana skins? I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it to a pile of banana skins, a okay. bunch of banana bunch skins, of, really. Yeah, I suppose yeah, it's not really a pile of bananas, is it? Now, if you were going to pick a player outside of the top ten to make the quarterfinals, who would it be? Mm, that's quite tricky. Do you like to know who I think it would be? Yes, I would, because that will buy me some time. <laughs> I thought it might. <laughs> uh, I would go Andre Rublev. I mean, the, the only thing I I don't know if it'll be a distraction the fact that as we record on Friday he's through to the semi-finals in Hamburg therefore less time to wherever if he reaches the final um, or not to get to Paris to to settle in to sort all the tests out and to get into action I don't know how distracting disrupting or upsetting that will be but the way he's been striking the ball of late the way he can strike the ball and he's been a quarter finalist at the US Open before so and he is in where is he he's in the second chunk of the draw so he's in the sort of Medvedev Sitsipas Shapovalov Dimitrov chunk so I will I, I look he's not too far outside the top 10 but if if strictly that's the criteria then Andre Rublev is not a top 10 player so I can go with him I mean that's quite close to the top ten, isn't it? But 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 it, well, the question was if you're going to pick a player outside the top ten. So I did stick to the rules. You could go with who's eleven. You could go eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Desperately, it was Goffin. So having oh, said, we think Sinner might beat him. I'm not. I'm not really about to hang my hat on him. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I would say hmm, Alex Dimonor. I think is someone to look at, partly because of the area of the draw that he's in. Yeah. So he's in Nadal's, Nadal's. Half, but he wouldn't. He's not going to get. What did you say? The quarterfinals. Yes. Yeah. So I think he's not going to beat. Okay. If I've worked it out right, <laughs> which is always a question. It's quite late at night here. Um, but I think he's somebody who, you know, is 
he's been over in Spain, I think, for the last few months. So he's been playing a lot on clay. He'll be practicing a lot on clay. He's comfortable on the surface. Um, I think he's one to watch. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying he's going to win the tournament. No, this was just to reach. But in at terms least the of somebody who could go very deep, I think he's he's got potential. And who's going to win the tournament? I always ask for a prediction. Hmm. I mean, you're really looking at a bunch of three. I am looking at a bunch of three. I think I'm actually looking at a bunch of two, and I think Djokovic will win. Who who did you not have in your three? Who was kicked out? I wouldn't put team in there. Because? Been to the last two finals here? Just won a Grand Slam? You think that might count against him? The exertion. You're only letting me pick one. <laughs> I mean, obviously, if you're letting me pick three, I'll pick three. And Can't, I would no. pick team in there. You can only have one. I was just interested which one you'd leave out. So you have Djokovic to win. I would have Djokovic to win. Having, having said that, I think it's hard to look past Nadal. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say everybody. I think everybody could win, as long as it's from those three. Or one of the others. <laughs> well, thank you for that prediction. And thank you for doing the podcast, because you literally arrived from your Eurostar through the traffic and sat down with me. So thank you very much. That's all right. It's time to leave my bedroom now. Okay, it's fine with me. I'm <laughs> taking my tea bags, though. Because it is late. And tomorrow, and it's a strange one, because tomorrow would normally be kids' day. So it'll just be another day of, of, I think, just getting the site ready and getting everything and you'll get your first look around. And Yeah, I'm excited to see it, actually. I think it's I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I always love those days before a Grand Slam, before the crowds come anyway. Yes. You know, I really, um, I think there's a just a buzz around the tournament and that, and that sound of people, you know, frantically soaring things that, that, you know, need fixing or putting last minute bits of infrastructure in place or watering the plants or making sure everything looks perfect you know I like that I think that's as you said at the beginning of the pod there's a sense of um, kind of Christmas Eve about it so I'm excited yeah no it's 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 great to be here and it's great to be a part of this and uh, and look enjoy your Covid test in about a week's time <laughs> I mean, is enjoy the word you mean? <laughs> Absolutely not. But look, I've got another one to come, so I can't. We've be, all we've all I got multiple be, tests yeah, in our future. I can't be too smug about this. <laughs> but make sure if you cannot wait, like Eleanor and I, for the tennis, that you tune in to the twenty four seven ATP Tennis Radio live channel on TuneIn, or an easy place to go is just via the ATP website, where you can listen as we will be rebroadcasting Radio Roland Garros. That both Eleanor and I will be working on that as the official radio station of. Roland Garros. Now I'm going to be back next weekend with the ATP podcast looking back over events from week one. In the meantime, enjoy the tennis. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.